Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has unveiled his party's climate plan to cut greenhouse gas emissions, but the plan in many ways looks a lot like the one that's already in place. Former Toronto Star journalist Richard Brennan joins us to talk about that. Associate Medical Officer of Health Dr. Barbara Yaffe called the current situation dire and worse than at any point in the pandemic. Now, after hitting record high days here in Ontario, we're preparing for new restrictions. What can we expect? Well, we'll speculate about that, too. And we hear from you, the listeners. Do you support lockdowns to stem the spread of COVID-19? It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. An interesting day in Ottawa yesterday. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has finally unveiled his party's plan to cut greenhouse gas emissions. And as Global's chief political correspondent David Aiken explains, the Conservative plan looks a lot like the Trudeau Liberal plan. At the heart of the Liberal approach to reducing greenhouse gas emissions is the idea of a national price on carbon, a price that rises over time, giving everyone the incentive to reduce the use of carbon. Aaron O'Toole says his party is prepared to accept that principle. We recognize that the most efficient way to reduce our emissions is to use pricing mechanisms. But the Conservatives would implement a pricing mechanism differently, replacing the Liberal carbon tax and rebate program with a Conservative low-carbon savings account. This plan scraps Mr. Trudeau's carbon tax. This is not a tax, not a cent goes to Ottawa. Uh, well, there it goes, uh, it's suggesting that it's much different than the Liberal plan, although there's an awful lot of people that would beg to disagree with that. I want to bring Richard Brennan into the conversation, a former journalist with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years. Uh, Badger, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck... Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a duck. It's a duck. <laughs> were, you, were you surprised by this yesterday? Well, I got a bit of a tip from someone. Oh, yeah? Uh, and uh, he deliberately he deliberately blindsided his caucus... And he had to, because if he, you know, got them all together and said, "I've got a plan here. What do you think?" They would have scrapped it. They would have not blocked every attempt he would make to bring in uh, a climate change plan. The man had to do it for the conservatives. They've got to get more supporters than just their base, and he sees that. And uh, the, certainly, a lot of his members don't see it. So that's why. You know, they're, they're whining this morning, some of them, that uh, they were blindsided with this. Well, he had no choice. This was, because uh, I've seen some speculation about this over the last 24 hours or so. I, I, the motivation for this, I do not think, was the Supreme Court decision from a couple of weeks ago that basically said the government has the right to do this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on side with you. I think he was feeling an awful lot of pressure. Uh, there's going to be an election sooner than later. I mean, that seems to be in the tea leaves right now. Uh, and there's not a hope in hell that he's going to win seats in, in, in the urban centers in eastern Canada here unless he comes up with some sort of a plan. But is this the plan that's going to work? Well, it, you know, I mean, it, there are people, there's experts saying that, the, you know, his decision to abandon their, uh, their their opposition to the consumer carbon pricing is a, is a, is a big development for him. And um, it remains to be seen. What, what gets me is this, and I got, I'm still scratching my head over this one, is this personal low-carbon savings account where it's like, just as as savings account, you're able to dip into it to buy green things like maybe a furnace or you know a bicycle or or something to that effect. You you 
you put it, you're putting money into it. Well, you know what? He said that it's it's you know it's not it won't none of this will go to the government. Well, I've heard that before, and uh, the thing is that it's a tax. I don't care if you call it a savings account or whatever you might uh, want to label it. It's a tax, just as the, you know the tax on you know the their per ton per ton tax that they're putting on carbon pricing, and and I mean that's a tax. But he has no choice. If he has, if he wants to have any attempt at forming a government, this coming, this whatever the election is, he has to get on board with some of this stuff. He can't be trapped by the by the luddites, if you will, uh, within the party that say, you know, you you can't. We don't need a uh, a climate change plan because, uh, uh, you know, global warming doesn't exist. So. That's, I think that's where he stands. And, you know, one more thing, too, you know, the federal government is, you know, says it's going to uh, cut uh, greenhouse gases by 2030. Well, you know how much, Bill, they've cut in the last 15 years? You got a number for me? One percent. There you go. Baby steps. Oh, no, it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, and that's what the trouble with all of these plans. Five years from now... If we're still around, hopefully we are. Um, they will uh, will be talking about how they didn't meet their their, their uh, the goalposts here. Well, exactly, and and you know that's part of the conversation, but it doesn't seem to be the part that these guys want to talk about. It's a it's all money out of your pocket, money back into your pocket. I mean, the one the one major difference between uh, what O'Toole talked about in the current plan, of course, is is uh, the fact that the liberal plan is going to be you know considerably more as time goes on. Uh, O'Toole's capping his, I guess, at, at, at fifty, uh, which is rather interesting uh, by twenty twenty two, and the, the liberal plan talking about going up to one seventy. Uh, but again, this there's the misrepresentation saying all the money goes to Ottawa. I mean, ninety percent of the revenue under the current program actually is returned to Canadians through rebates, and the other 10% is supposed to be handed out to small and medium businesses and hospitals and places like that, uh, which it makes it more accessible. And if you get a rebate check, and or I do, and I want to go and spend it on groceries or a, a trip if we ever get to travel again, that's your prerogative. But uh, under the, the conservative plan here, I guess I have to buy a bike or, or you know, uh, I don't know what, a wind t- something like that. It has to be something environmentally safe, I guess. Well, and, you know, and both plans have attributes. I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with setting up some kind of count for people to dip into to do that stuff. But, it, you know, Bill, you know and I know, if you can't say it in 10 seconds what the heck it is, your plan, or a little more, but not much, let's give them 20 seconds. The thing is, people lose interest. They want They want a plan cut to the chase tell me what it is but it's i find his the conservative plan a bit uh, uh convoluted and complicated i mean they, they all are believing just not theirs liberals is the same way but people want to know what you're going to do how you're going to do it and when's it going to start and that's that's what they want to know and don't give them all kinds of malarkey about this that and the other thing well and because and, and this happens in politics all the time, all the years you've been covering this stuff. You've seen people with egg on their face. Uh, because the very talking points that they, they drilled about the Liberal Party plan for the next number of years, about, you know, it's increasing the cost of living, it's increasing this, you know, you're paying more at the pumps, yada, yada, yada. So is their plan. Of course. 
it's it's going to do the exact same thing. I, you know, you're still going to pay more at the pump, and you're expected to put it, this in a bank account. And and again, they they're pretty hazy about the details of what how that's going to work right now. But it's still going to be money out of our pocket. And I guess the question Canadians always have is, well, how much of it's going to come back to me, and when's it coming back to me? Well, I'll tell you, when somebody tells me it's not a tax, <laughs> well, I guess I just didn't fall off the turnip truck. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember Dalton McGinty when he brought in the health uh, tax back in, oh, God, in the early uh, 2000s. He brought in the health tax. Of course, he campaigned, said he would not bring in the tax of any sort, then brought in the, most, the biggest one-time tax increase in the history of the province. But he called it a health premium. And, of course, we went after him and said, you know, you call what you like. It's a tax, which it is. But, you know, so they, they try and work around it and, and, and muddy the waters as to what it is exactly. But if, if, I'm, if I'm paying more at the pump, regardless of whether it's going into some kind of uh, carbon savings account or, or the government coffers, it's a tax, and I'm paying for it. The other element to this, too, is is how this is going to be distributed. And I, I know one of the main criticisms about the Trudeau plan, since it's been implemented for a while now, is that there are winners and losers in his plan. I mean, if you if you live in downtown Toronto or in any number of other cities now, you're probably not driving a whole lot. I mean, if you've got a condo downtown, maybe you're even taking public transit. Uh, so the rebate's not going to be that extensive. Uh, as And you know the other side of that coin, of course, is uh, people in the rural communities, farmers and places like they use a lot more uh, of fuel, you know, for tractors, farm equipment, those things, driving long distances, that sort of thing. And and there's an argument to be made that they actually probably don't get anywhere near the money back that they probably should. Maybe some of the folks in urban centers get a little more than they probably should in situations like that. So there's that inequity. Uh, O'Toole tried to address that yesterday and said this is uh, – and not going to place any excessive burden on low-income Canadians, and it's going to protect farmers by ensuring they have affordable options. He hasn't said what those options are. You're still going to pay more for your fuel. That's what it comes down to. Well, if you're a farmer, fuel is one of your biggest costs. Sure. And, you know, anything they can do for the farmers, I mean, you know, putting aside my urban bias, you know, anything they can do to the farmers, they, they should, and regardless of if it's, uh, the liberals or, or the conservatives, but they, they should be uh, treating them fairly well, I would think, because of, of the costs involved. But again, you know, there's, you know, it's, you know, the devil's in the details. That we'll, as, as we go along, more things will spill out about what exactly it is. I mean, quite frankly, the conservative plan is more or less spells out what it is. But there, there always be, you know, shades of gray that you don't, you don't really get to know. And I, uh, I just. Well, again, uh, the conservative, you know, people are saying, oh, we're scratching their head, you know, the conservatives coming out with a climate change plan. Well, they had to. They had no choice. It's as simple as that. And and the uh, right wing of the party can, you know, whine and complain all they like, but if they don't come out with something, they just haven't got a, a chance. But that's, that's the story that didn't get a whole lot of, uh, of discussion yesterday. But it's, in, in the days and weeks ahead, though, yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. It's, it's uh, insurrection in the ranks. Uh, this is not going to play well, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, I really west of Manitoba. 
uh, they're going to be pretty ticked off about this. And and uh, now, and because this is, they feel as if they're being betrayed because you know they just a couple of weeks ago thought you know we we want to keep that 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 right wing element of the party strong, and and this is really kind of a slap in the face to them. I'm going to be interested to see just how they respond to O'Toole. Uh, I, I think we got the first inkling of that yesterday. I think you saw the popularity poll that suddenly 11 percent of Albertans think O'Toole's uh, worthwhile as a leader. Uh, that they were impressed with his leadership. Uh, that's uh, that's that's not a ringing endorsement by any stretch of the imagination, but that might be a bellwether as to where things are going out west for the conservatives. Well, when you start getting the right-wing media, and I call them right-wing, right-of-center, uh, yeah. uh, media, uh, Sun and, 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 and Post, and other ones, you know, taking it to O'Toole, like I've read late, lately, that's not a good sign. It's become it's become a personal thing, quite frankly. They just don't think he's up to the job, and that's and and you know that's right from people. They're they're supporters. So I, you know, it, he's got a tough row ahead. Uh, and again, I you know whether he can do it or not, but uh, at least this gives him something to run on and something that might appeal to people. Uh, you know, uh, east of uh, you know Manitoba. Is is this the issue, though? I mean, let's face it. I mean, the big challenge they've had over the last couple of federal elections uh, is they're not scoring points in, in the large urban areas, and not just in Ontario. I'm talking about even out in the, east, uh, uh, the maritime provinces and, of course, in Quebec as well. Uh, and, and I know the environment's a big issue, uh, but is it the issue that's going to pe- make people think, you know, I wasn't going to vote for them, but maybe I'll consider that now? Well, it's one of many things. Uh, you know, everything's overshadowed right now by, by covid Sure. Uh, and what what you know the federal government's going to do, what the provinces are going to, how they're going to handle it, and uh, as we know, that's you know that's not a good sh- uh, show right now because with all the people that are being hospitalized. But uh, so I think almost everything right now takes a backseat to COVID. But at least it's 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 uh, it's something that they can hold up and say, you know, we believe in climate change, and, and here's what we're going to do, and. And that comes on the heels, of course, with the uh, convention they had in Ottawa where, where they voted 52% or something like that to, uh, against uh, saying that climate change didn't exist. So, <laughs> Mr. O'Toole has is, is got uh, a lot of work ahead of him. And whether he can do it, uh, I don't know. But the, the liberals are riding high in the polls right now, but that, that could change in a dime. Oh, and we've seen that happen. Uh, you know, one more mischief in a vaccine, and, and you start to see oh. numbers pull. But uh, the, you're right; it's it's a two pronged challenge for Aaron O'Toole at this stage. He has to sell this to Canadians, but before he does that, he has to sell it to his own party, and that's that's that may be a bridge too far for him too. We'll have to see. Well, it is. Uh, he, I, I think, you know, right now he's just flailing, and. I kind of feel sorry for the guy because you know he, he you know he's doing his try to do his best, but his, his, now his party's knifing him in the back, and they will particularly now with this with this uh, with this um, plan to fight climate change, and where, where this is going. I mean, a lot has to do with when the election is, but I can't imagine, Bill. I just can't imagine that they're going to uh, call an election during this pandemic. I, I don't think so either, but you know they've, they've surprised us before, and who knows exactly what's going to happen. Uh, we've got to break it off. We're just about out of time on this one, Badger. Thanks, as always, for this. Have a, a good weekend. Stay yeah, healthy, and we'll too, talk well. again soon, okay? 
Thanks. Bye-bye. Richard Brennan, of course, a retired journalist who covered uh, Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years, talking about some of the uh, the challenges, of course, when a, a policy like this drops down, as uh, Aaron O'Toole's did yesterday. Uh, we'll follow that with great interest to see just how that's going to be received in the next little while. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As you've been hearing on the news, COVID restrictions are about to get a lot tougher. We're told, anyway, the Premier's got another one of his daily press conferences around uh, 2.30 this afternoon, we believe, and we'll carry that for you, of course. Uh, multiple sources are telling Global News, though, that uh, members of his cabinet and the Premier are currently looking at some new travel restrictions, possibly for the tightening of some of the measures. Uh, Global's Dave Woodard has some of the details. Ontario's Associate Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Barbara Yaffe, says if you brought in a new restriction today, it wouldn't have an immediate effect. We won't see the impact of that for two to three weeks at least. Dr. Dirk Heyer, also on the provincial medical table, says that while the numbers have been increasing, it doesn't mean the restrictions haven't been working. What we can't say is what the number might have been had we not uh, moved forward with some of the uh, some of the measures that we have added over the past period of time. He says while we won't win the race against COVID-19 this month, we need to continue to get vaccines in arms as quickly as possible in hopes we can win it sooner than later. So what should be on the table? What do we need to do here? And, and how do we face this, this dire circumstance that we're in right now? Uh, to discuss this, so pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Rewa Dianandan, who is a professor and epidemiologist with the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. I know it's a busy day for you. Thanks for spending some time with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, where do we begin here? These are the worst numbers we've seen. Uh, we knew there was going to be a third wave. I mean, it's we're in a crisis situation here right now. Uh, what should we be doing that we haven't done so far? Well, that's a good question. We've we got to pull out all the stops, right? And so right now we have a stay-at-home order, which really is just our gray zone minus the indoor dining. So what we should be doing probably is closing all non-essential businesses and making sure we have economic supports for those people. That's the other half that really has to be looked at. We can't have people economically suffering from this. All of these endeavors are just disincentives for human behavior. Keep that in mind. This is just ways to prevent people from interacting. If we could do so voluntarily, that would be great, but clearly we can't. So closing non-essential businesses, non-essential retail is important, moving all shopping to curbside pickup or delivery, except for those people who clearly you know, don't have cars or can't manage that sort of situation. I think we have to have a province-wide school closure. That's controversial, but it has to be considered. We have to redeploy vaccinations to places where that has the biggest bang for its buck, at least in the short term. We have to have paid sick leave, absolutely. We have to use rapid testing to great effect, like we do in England and France. And we have to do um, uh, limiting domestic travel, I think is important here too. We can't have people going from hot zone areas to lesser hot zone areas. Maybe you can't have indoor dining in Toronto, but it doesn't mean you can drive to a small town and enjoy indoor dining there. We also don't want to have spread of the P1 variant, which is clustered in some places now. And if we can slow that spread, the better. Remember, this is all about slowing the transmission to give us time to vaccinate. That's our plan right now. It's the, the, the protocol you're describing there sounds very much like what New Zealand and Australia did uh, in, during the first wave. Uh, and, and I remember talking about that on the air at the time, doctor, and I had people calling and emailing and saying, this is draconian. How can you do this? We have rights. So, you know, there, I, there was one story about a guy that was walking his dog around the block and got a ticket, said, you're not supposed to be out of your house after a certain time of the day. And he got a ticket for it. And we said, how could you do that? And, but it worked. 
uh, as, as draconian as some people described it. I mean, New Zealand has not had a second wave or a third wave. Uh, they're not just flattening the curve. They've just about eliminated the curve. Australia's had very great success with this, too. But they did everything that you've just described and said, I don't care what you think. This is what we need to do. Uh, does this yes. government, do we, as the public, do we have the will to be able to do that now? I don't think we have the will to approach COVID zero, which is what New Zealand and Australia did. We do have the will, though, to do this for a couple of months to prevent catastrophe and, again, to buy us time. So what's different this way than previous ways, other than the fact that the new variants are posing this incredible threat, is that we have an exit ramp. We didn't have that before. Like a year ago, we suggested going for COVID zero, like last June. Their response was, we can't live like this interminably. Well, now we're not asking people to. We're just saying, just for a couple of months, because vaccines give us a way out. We can join this ramp to normal starting in the summer if we just slow things down right now. Looking around the world, as you know, the, the places that have done this well all have three things in common. One, they acted early, they acted hard. Number two, they got really good at detecting cases. And number three, they patrolled their borders for reinfection meaning they, they control travel and the spread of the disease. We can still do that. And the places that have attempted a more balanced response, as we call it, have all suffered incalculably. So uh, to me, it's pretty clear what has to be done. We got to take the short-term pain with, with, again, supporting those people who are going to suffer the most and allow us to enter that ramp to normal in a couple of months. That last part that you mentioned, and I know it's the second time you mentioned it in our conversation, but it is a key part to this. Uh, those countries we just talked about, New Zealand and Australia, that were successful in doing this, had all those support mechanisms in place from day one. Uh, uh, you know, paid days off, sick days off, and things of this nature, and of course support for businesses, because uh, you can't do one without the other. And we seem to be doing things in kind of a piecemeal fashion here right now, uh, which I think is confusing to the public, and certainly is probably, as you've described, Doctor, uh, pretty much ineffective in trying to do what we're supposed to be doing doing here you know you talked about you know covid zero method methodology we, we're into mitigation me methodology and and as as you put on twitter the other day this virus is pretty smart it's 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 outsmarting us right now yeah i mean mitigation is tempting and if we didn't have vaccines i would argue that maybe we need to find a way to quote unquote live with the disease mm -hmm. uh, like you know south korea japan and taiwan did they use extraordinary public health assets to allow nightclubs to stay open and things like that that could have been us and it still might be us if we you know crush this wave and deploy those assets for a few months while we enjoy vaccination but again the, uh, the great confounder here is public will and political will frankly we need both of those to get through this I think maybe the public will might be there more so than it has been in the past because of the exit ramp, right? It's not interminable anymore. Now there is actually, uh, you know, a, a dawn over the horizon that we can see. We just have to be able to get there, keep our, our, keep our sensibilities intact and get there. And people, I think, are more willing than ever before to tighten their belts and to sustain the hardship to prevent catastrophe, frankly. But there's, uh, there's no vaccine against irresponsibility. And, and you know, it, it's easy to blame the government. But there's more than enough culpability there about vaccine rollouts and everything. But we have a role to play here. I mean, the, the public. And I look at the Gray Bruce example. It's been in the news for the last 48 hours or so. Uh, you know, health, public health officials up there are saying one of the big things, they were house parties, Easter parties, which we weren't supposed to have. But here we are two weeks after the fact, and boom, we're seeing a rise. And people were lying about contract, contact tracing. I mean, if, if we can't play by the rules, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be victims of our own bad behavior, aren't we? 
Yeah, this is the uh, the great failing of our greatest strength. Our greatest strength is our freedom, our liberal democracy. It's also our, fa- our failing because people do have the ability to lie and to misrepresent and to put their own personal needs above the collective good. Uh, around the world, again, those countries with strong authoritarian tendencies did better, unfortunately. What I like to think, though, is at the end of the day, our liberal predilections, our small L liberal predilections, mm-hmm. our desire for freedom and innovation, will win out because that's what allows us to have things like vaccination. But you're absolutely right. Personal responsibility is at the heart of this. And I don't want to be that scolding person who says, hey, you young kids out there partying, stop it. I want to remind people that a lot of people, especially young people, can't physically distance because there are essential workers and baristas and they live in crowded settings. But also, there's an element of heroism here that we can stress. Instead of always hitting people with the stick, with you know, bylaw infractions, we can express to them, there is heroism to be wrought here by protecting your fellow citizen and by making sure we enter that ramp to normal quickly. So the incentives, I don't think, have been well communicated to people yet. There's, uh, I guess, two tacks here, aren't there, Doctor? I mean, you've, you've talked about, I was going to call it the long game. Maybe it's not as long as we had thought it was because the vaccines are there. We just, you know, it's, it's a matter of numbers now. But there's this, the here and now, and, and I'm, I'm concerned about that, and I know you are too. I've seen some of your comments over the last couple of days about these rising numbers that we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation. They're higher now than they ever have been with any of the, the waves that we've endeavored. Uh, how do we handle this? We're, it's almost as if hospitals are being overrun. I mean, as, as, as we've been reporting, I mean, we're, you know, we're putting people in, in pediatric hospitals, in long-term care, anywhere they can find a bed. Uh, that's the, you know, if they can find a bed. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get the level of care that they should be getting right now. Uh, is it time to call in the reserves? Is it time to get the military? Is it time to get, to get some help and relief for the, the frontline workers that are pretty much exhausted right now? This is a supply problem and a demand problem. We have demand for service and insufficient supply. Now, we've talked about how to reduce demand by slowing transmission. And by the way, we have a lot more play in slowing demand. Whereas increasing supply, we don't have much of a opportunity here. Our ceiling is quite low. So the rate limiting step there is frankly healthcare workers. We can build more beds, we can build more hospitals, we can probably buy more ventilators and things like that, but we don't have enough ICU nurses and physicians and people like that, respirologists, to to staff them all. The way this is going to play out is there isn't going to be a magical day when suddenly things don't work anymore. It's going to go step by step, insidiously slowly, bit by bit, care will diminish because our healthcare workers, heroic as they are, will stretch themselves thin. We'll have people in hallways. We'll have uh, ICU beds staffed by fewer and fewer people. So the death rates will climb, not just for COVID, but for people in hospitals for other reasons. It's going to be an insidious situation that the public will not perceive at first, unfortunately. So to answer your question, what do we do? Well, we slow demand and we increase capacity as much as we can. And that probably means importing healthcare workers from lesser affected areas. Uh, maybe uh, retasking other healthcare professionals to work in an unideal situation. But that has limited capacity as well. Uh, human beings can only exhaust themselves so far. So our best bet is slow demand, slow transmission. That's the only way we can survive this. Doctor, do you get the sense that, that we, again, in the public, understand the, the, the depth of the concern here? We don't all uh, walk up and down the halls of hospitals, uh, so we don't see what's going on. I mean, we hear statistics, and as a matter of fact, I wanted to get, uh, address one other thing, too. I mean, you, you've seen a lot of the stuff on social media right now that says, look at all these numbers we're hearing about on the news. They're all overblown. They're, 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 they're overstating the number of people that are impacted by this. And I, I know you've got some pretty strong thoughts about that. 
Yeah, the disinformation is really problematic. So people are saying, hey, we're at 80%. That's not so bad. But we're at, we're at 80% because we keep creating more capacity by artificially uh, moving people out of hot zone areas or people die. You know, every time someone dies in an ICU bed, guess what? That's a spare ICU bed that pops up in the, in the data. Or we have uh, asked nurses to cancel their vacations or work a few extra hours per day. So artificially, the numbers look um, better than they actually are. So beware this kind of reporting. This is uh, probably the worst crisis I've ever seen the healthcare system uh, sustain since I've been looking at it. I'm not a, a physician. I'm a PhD. So I don't get to see this firsthand. I look at the numbers. But my colleagues tell me that they are really taxed. Um, the way it's going to affect the common citizen, though, is if you are in a car accident or have a heart attack or need you know, emergency care, your care is now compromised. Your chances of dying are now higher than it was last week, regardless of COVID. That's why we should care about this. Each of us is impacted by these statistics in a profound and meaningful existential way. Do not, uh, do not doubt that fact. We've seen this. This is art imitating life, I guess. We've seen this in some movies, war movies. I think it was Saving Private Ryan and a few others. We saw a medic walking all the way down, save him, not him, not him, save him, save him. Uh, it's triaging, essentially, to say, okay, that one's worthwhile. This one's be a. Are we, are we getting toward that point now? Because it's a scary proposition, but I'm hearing a lot more talk about it. Yeah, uh, I think we are getting towards that point. And uh, Dr. Michael Warner, who's been such a fantastic yeah. leader in all this, was tweeting earlier about um, their actual rules. You cannot remove someone from care, but you can deny someone care. So if someone uh, is already occupying a bed and someone else needs it, you can say, you can't have that bed, it's filled, therefore you will suffer. So we may have to revisit what the actual ethical rules are around all of this. It's a horrible position to place our healthcare workers in. They should not be making these kinds of decisions. A society should be making these decisions. And frankly, we should not be putting anyone in the position to make these decisions. Therefore, it is incumbent upon all of us to prevent that scenario from, from playing out. We definitely see this in other parts of the world, you know, without question. And how do you make that decision? Is it the youngest person gets the service? The person most likely to live gets the service? The person who got there first gets the service? The ethical questions are deep, but we can avoid it, of course, by reducing demand again. Um, so I'm, I'm, I hope that our leaders make the right decisions in coming days to help slow transmission. And more importantly, I hope that our common citizens, our fellow citizens, make the decision to voluntarily reduce our individual exposures for the greater common good. Dr. Yaffe yesterday uh, was talking about the dire circumstance, using pretty strong language about this, and uh, again suggesting that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. We seem to be in a cycle right now of living in two-week increments because of the incubation period. Uh, we, we saw these terrible numbers and the projections, of course, that are being released later on this afternoon, which are probably going to be startling as well. Uh, can we expect it to stay like this for at least until uh, the end of this month? And maybe, maybe if we crack down like you're suggesting today, uh, that we might see some improvement maybe by the end of the month? Yeah, I think it's going to climb for a bit. Uh, and I think if all goes well, we'll peak in early or mid-May and come down after that. That's the projection that I'm looking at. But again, uh, none of us has a crystal ball. Uh, if, if the right measures come into place, if we prevent the new variants from further colonizing our population, then we can start seeing numbers come down sometime next month and then enter that ramp to normal in the summer. But we are playing here with the possibility of a fourth wave, which is a horrifying thing to consider. You know, I think people are seeing American TV and seeing how well they're doing in terms of their vaccination deployment and penetration and assuming that's us. That is not us. We don't have that level of vaccine availability or that level of uptake, frankly. 
So we have to consider the Canadian case, the Ontario case, and realize we are now the worst COVID example in North America, believe it or not, uh, depending on how you look at the numbers. So we got to get ourselves out of this. Um, but we have a shot at it. The window is closing, but we definitely have a shot at, again, that ramp to normal. So what I want to see is the urgency in people's eyes you know, as, they, as they look at these numbers and recognize that there are things that we can do individually to help this process along and reclaim our lives in short order. I'm glad you brought up the U.S. analogy here, too, because this, I think there's a lesson to be learned from that, too, isn't there? Uh, their vaccination program is doing exceedingly well, beyond all expectations, and that, that's good news for them. But their new cases are going up, nonetheless, uh, which tells you the vaccine is not the, the be-all and end-all answer. If you're not following the other protocols, you're still going to be in trouble. That's right. You, the numbers will come down once we reach a certain level of population immunity. And they won't magically come down. It'll take time, as you know, Israel showed us and the U.K. showed mm-hmm. us. These mitigation tools that we have, mask wearing, distancing, limiting our social gatherings, are important. They will be lifted one by one as time goes on, but they cannot be lifted all at once. Vaccine is not a panacea. Vaccine is the single best mitigation tool that we have. In coordination with other mitigation tools, they will crush community transmission. And when that happens, we lift all mitigation tools. So the lesson I want people to understand is none of this is interminable. You don't have to live like this forever. We aren't going to be masked for the rest of our lives. We just have to deal with this now in short order and allow the vaccinations to do their job. We have role models now in Israel and the UK and other places. We just have to do the needful. Doctor, always great to get your perspective. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, Stay well, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon down the road. Thank you for having me. Take care. Dr. Rewa Dianandan, of course, uh, from the University of Ottawa. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to open the lines up and get your thoughts on on what we've been enduring for the last couple of months, I guess now. Uh, Lockdown, no lockdown. This is open. This is closed. Only two people in here. It's all this stuff that's going on. We're told now that later on today, the premier is going to probably announce even more strict regulations uh, to try to knock down the spread. I mean, the the numbers here are just outstandingly sad uh, when we look at how this has gone. This is the worst uh, it's ever been, I guess, from all three different uh, waves of this pandemic that we've had. So here's how you can reach us. Local number is 905 Six four five three two two one nine zero five six four five thirty two twenty one. Start nine nine hundred is a toll free number. Uh, long distance is also a toll free one eight hundred two six three two four two eight. Do you want to see the government lock things down? Do you want a total lockdown here? What do you want to hear the premier say today? Or is enough enough? And just say, look, just stop this. It's not working. Let us open the stores. Let us do what we want. Schools, everything's on the table here. We've got a few minutes, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I know there's a lot of pent-up frustration right now uh, among all of us, and uh, we want to give you an opportunity to vent that frustration or maybe offer some direction to the government. Uh, 905-645-3221, start 9900. Uh, we've tried lockdowns. We've tried, and we've you know, got into the descriptors of what we're doing here, uh, a mitigation, you know, in other words, kind of let's not go whole hog into this, let's not go totally hard into this uh, because we're concerned about, you know, the pushback that we might be getting, that governments might be getting. Uh, and, and as a result, we're sort of concerned about, you know, the, the politics of this as well. Uh, other jurisdictions, as we've talked about in the past, have been very strict about what they've had to do, and they've had success with it. Uh, they have knocked down the curve. They have eliminated it. Uh, it's not working that well here. So let's go to the phones and get your thoughts here. Let me get Bill up here, first of all. Bill, thanks for joining us on the program. Good morning, Bill. Happy Friday. Okay, and to you, too. So here's my two cents. Um, 
as with cancer that has no respect of person, this COVID vaccine, which is a virus, is the same way. Um, we, I'm thinking of changing my name to Yo-Yo now because of the restrictions that have been put in place, loosened up, then, you know, more restrictions put in place, trying to knock down the spread of this virus. The fact of the matter is, and I think this escapes people, is that if it was something that appeared on your face and you got this huge growth because now you're infected with COVID, it'd be a no-brainer. People would say, oh, I need to trail what I'm doing and take care of my own health. Listening to the healthcare professionals, the scientists that spend their careers researching and developing uh, cures and vaccines for these things, we need to really hearken and and, and take to heart their words of wisdom and warnings in that, because if we don't, uh, on the other side of the coin is, well, case uh, what will be will be, uh, let's just everybody go out and do their own thing. The mortality rate is going to skyrocket until we get herd immunity, uh, and that doesn't yeah. happen overnight. But, so but we're, Bill, we're, we're not doing it. Happens. The numbers indicate we're not doing it. So is it the government's responsibility to lock everything down until we do? Oh, I absolutely agree. But I think it, it needs to be sort of like what New Zealand did, is they just shut it all down and said, listen, I know they're an island unto themselves, and we've got the transit of international uh, transportation going on in our, our world. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all or nothing. This Opening up the lid and, and crack it and let the nauseous gas escape for a little bit uh, is serving nobody. We've got to lock it down. We've got to take care of business for six weeks because that's what the scientists are saying. If we just do our part, everybody do our part, from the stay-at-home mom and dad to the students to the businesses to the government agencies, um, we could kick this thing to the curbside and be done with it, all the while allowing the vaccines to start playing into the fabric of our society. But until we do that, if we try and massage everybody's um, need to be out and interacting, and I get that, don't, don't get me wrong, what's going to happen is that we will just roll this thing along for months and months and months, and we will never get a handle on it. Well, that's, uh, it will always frustration. keep us in its death grip. So it's yeah, so. all or nothing in my opinion. It is. Bill, thanks so much for starting us off on this. We've got a limited amount of time. I want to get to as many calls as we can. John, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show. Thanks for joining us, John. What do you want to see the government do here? Hey, Bill, all these uh, mini lockdowns, quasi-lockdowns, or whatever you want to call it, are basically just a bunch of inconveniences. This is like pulling a Band-Aid off slowly, a year's worth of pulling off the Band-Aid slowly. We have to pull off the Band-Aid fast. We have to have a major, major lockdown, just like the previous caller said. Six weeks, everything completely shut down, or else this will go on. Next year, this time, we'll be saying the same thing. So, thanks, John, for the call. Appreciate it. 905-645-3221. Toll free is uh, 1-800-263-2428. Dave, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show. Dave, what do you think the government should be doing here? Well, for number one, uh, I wouldn't want to be Doug Ford. I'm not a political guy, but I feel sorry for him. Uh, I'm sure he's being told what to do as well. But, you know, uh, like the other caller said, you know, open, close, up and down like a toilet seat. I mean, they should, if they're going to do it, close everything up uh, for the amount of time that they feel necessary uh, and, you know, move forward with it. But, I mean, you've got to get people to abide by the rules, too. You know, I go out for a drive, and I see... Uh, you know, uh, the second day of the, the lockdown, I see people out wandering all over the place. Well, 
It's my right. I'm exercising, you know. But, I mean, you got to give those people uh, some uh, some freeway, too, because, you know, I guess they're, everyone's tired of being cooped up. But, I mean, this is what you got to do. People got to understand this is what you have to do. Yeah, you got to play by the rules. And uh, them that have done and, and had success with this have done exactly that. They've played by the rules. Uh, try to squeeze a couple more in here before we have to finish off. Let me, th- thanks for the call. Let me get uh, Bob into the conversation. Bob, you're on the Bill Kelly Show. What do you want the Premier to do today? Is it time to lock things down? Go ahead, Bob. No, we seem to be getting a bad signal Hello? with Bob. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. Uh, what I like to see is the uh, mask being regulated. You've got a lot of people wearing masks that are completely inefficient, and the government's letting capitalism just put anything out there for the public to buy. It should be the masks that stop the virus, or else it's not on the market. Thank you for having my opinion. I do appreciate your call. Thanks so much for this. A lot of emails on this, too, at bkelly at 900chml.com. Uh, Larry says, simple message here, stay home, <laughs> which I guess is what they've been trying to say to us uh, for the longest time right now. And, uh, well, we're doing that in varying degrees. The problem is that you can't really get a one-size-fits-all situation here because different people have different circumstances. Uh, you know, and if, if you're staying at home and staying within that, I, I don't think there's a problem, and doctors will tell us that there's not really a problem with going out and, and getting some fresh air and going for a walk around on the block, etc. As long as you take the precautions, and we, we seem to be dropping the ball with that. Two thirty this afternoon is when the premier is going to make some announcements about this, and of course we'll carry that for you live uh, and give you the first uh, shot at what is going to be happening and what's going to be impactful, I guess, to us over the next couple of days. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from nine to noon on nine hundred CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.